0: Business intelligence is crucial for both internal and external applications at any company. There is a wide array of proprietary BI tools, and today there's an increasing number of options for open source business intelligence as well. One of them is CubeJS. CubeJS is an open source analytical API platform for building BI. Artyom and Pavel from CubeJS join the show to talk about what they've built and their vision for the platform. If you're interested in subscribing to the Software Daily podcast, you can get ad-free episodes if you pay $10 a month or $100 a year. It supports us, and you can subscribe by going to softwaredaily.com. Guys, welcome to Software Engineering Daily.
1: Awesome. Thank you for having us.
0: You both work on CubeJS, and this is something worth exploring from the analytical or visualization perspective. I'd like to get a bit of a lesson in the lineage of visualization, of web visualization. Could you tell me how web visualization products have traditionally matured over the last maybe decade or so?
1: Yeah, sure. I think that we are nowadays living in a world where software engineering is significantly easier than it was, you know, like 10 or 12 years ago. And same for, you know, visualization part. Right now we have a lot of great visualization charting libraries available right back in the days. And it was pretty much only dead tree. And then we started to have a lot of great visualization products and like a lot of great charting libraries and a lot of, you know, integration with existing React or like Angular and other frameworks. So I think that right now we have both really good developed, you know, ecosystem, both for visualization and also for building things like report builders, pivot tables, and general kind of, you know, like just dynamic dashboard thing. So I think that's really developed, especially with the Ventus of uh, React, Angular, and other, you know, like, front-end, heavy front-end gem-style frameworks.
0: And in what ways do you see Cube building on top of the building blocks that came before it?
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, like, just... What about a a total in terms of as front-end becomes easier and easier, you know, like and a gem stack really becomes a sink. Uh, A lot of people, they start to think about having multiple microservices right on the back-end and having a lot of front-end, kind of heavy front-end applications, uh, probably built with like a React or Angular. And that's where kube.js comes in as, you know, like a missing piece being this API for analytics. So we see that kube.js fits really nice in terms of having A lot of microservices and KubeJS being one of them and kind of having a really heavy front-end application built, say, in React, which consumes this KubeJS analytics application. And then it can use any visualization, you know, like to build any user analytics user experience the product people want.
0: Could you get a little bit more detail on the architecture of KubeJS?
1: Sure. You can think about KubeJS as an API middleware layer, which sits between your databases and your front-end applications. So front-end application can query Kube.js over the JSON API, and then Kube.js will uh, generate and execute a SQL against your databases. And also Kube.js kind of caches all the results and makes the queries really fast and also manages things like permissions, authorization, authentication. So it's usually kind of something between your database and front end application. So we, that's why we call it API or middleware.
0: How does Kube.js fit into a stack with other common analytics tools?
1: Yeah, we since we don't really, you know, provide visualization and we've been visualization agnostic. So sometimes we can be a backend for existing tools we have uh, a lot of you know, cases where companies use tools like a database or Grafana on top of the kube.js where kube.js acts as a backend, you know, just specifically to solve this data modeling problem or to solve their aggregation and caching problem. And they just use Metabase as a front-end application.
0: So give a little bit more detail on what this kind of middleware, what problem it solves.
1: Yeah, I think that's, there are a bunch of different problems, but I would say the biggest one is, you know, the low latency is, say, imagine you're building a dashboard, right? And you have a lot of filters on that dashboard, like a 10 filters, every filter have a 50 values, 50 possible values, and you have like a 15 charts on the dashboard. So you can think about potential number of permutations right here in different queries when you change the values in the filters. And the question would be, we have a really huge underlying data set and it could be multiple databases and the data should be joined, What, how we can make it work really, really fast. And that's one of the biggest problem KubeJet solves is it creates what we call a pre-aggregation layer, which is sort of the caching layer and it aggregates data from the source databases and to put it into aggregated storage. And then KubeJS queries this aggregated storage, and it already supports all the possible permutation of different values, You know, like of the filters and charts on the dashboard. That's why all the queries, they go and hit KubeJS, and KubeJS gets them from aggregated data, not from the source data. And in the background, KubeJS is constantly refreshing this pre-aggregation layer, just making sure that when you have a new data, the cache is kind of up to date. So that, I think, that would be the biggest problem. Uh, Also, it has, like, you know, just abstraction, API abstraction, permission, authentication, but performance is definitely the biggest problem.
0: So if I've got a bunch of different data sources and I want to potentially have visualization tools work on top of them, you're saying you do pre-aggregation, caching, generation of, of common SQL queries?
1: Yeah, that's correct.
0: How do you generate all that information ahead of time
1: yeah it's a good question so what you have is we call it we have a concept of data schema so the data schema is it's written in javascript it's pretty much like a json object it could in the data schema developers they can describe you know the the sort of the what kind of data they have and what kind of the relationship in the data they have you can think about it, it's like a object not like ORM, but for analytics. And based on this data, we can create an optimal set of aggregation. Say, for example, in this data schema, we have like 10 measures and 20 dimensions across multiple cubes. And then we can define a pre-aggregation to cover all the possible, you know, permutations of these measures and dimensions. That's why we can kind of, you know, like can know ahead of time what's going on, because we operate on this kind of middleware layer with this defined data schema.
0: Now, in some of these cases, the data sets could be really large, like if I have a snowflake data warehouse, that could be really data intensive, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. In that case, you really wanted to pre aggregate things. So if you have like a lot of data, and when you build an application, imagine you're building an application for your customer, like end customers, right? And you don't want to make them wait for five minutes. If even if you have like a lot of data under the hood in your Snowflake, you want to like basically provide a user experience when they click on something, they got it data instantly back, right? That's what we why we built a pre-aggregation, basically. The idea is you put a just on top of this and you apply the pre-aggregation and it goes and gets all the source data from Snowflake, aggregates it in a form of, you know, just basically the SQL table with a group by already applied. So all the, you know, columns already aggregated and then it puts it into storage. And then when a query comes in from a front end, it's not going to hit your, original Snowflake database is going to hit this aggregation layer.
0: What are some of the engineering problems involved in building that out?
1: Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I mean, like a lot, and Pavel can can share some of them, but I would say one of the biggest interesting problems is building this storage layer, which is kind of, we're using Rust to build it. We're using the Data Fusion, which is sort of the uh, Apache Arrow implementation in Rust, and we also use a bunch of interesting tools like the Rock, RocksDB, Rocks DB. But Pavel can share a little bit more about it and the challenges. I think Pavel, I will let you take it from here.
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, as Arto mentioned, like the like the hardest part here is a cube store. So currently, it's based on uh, Apache Arrow and uh, Data Fusion. So these are query, query engines like columnar query engines and we use Parquet as underlying uh, storage layer and we use uh, pretty the same way the Snowflake use like to approach processing a lot of data using micro partitioning. However, unlike Snowflake, we don't do it lazy. We, we do it like... So every node has a warm up cycle. So every node is always ready to query the data and we like aiming for like 200 millisecond response for every query of any size. And uh, it can be done using distributed like query processing. So using like this micro partitioning so every partition is really small like several megabytes. So we have like 100 of nodes that processes query like in subsecond and providing subsecond response here. So like one of the biggest challenges is how we do this distributed processing, like, and especially like for problems like joins. So it's what we're solving right now.
0: Just so we avoid losing the lead of, of what we're actually talking about here. How does Kube actually improve the developer experience?
1: So imagine you wanted to build you kind of are building a building SaaS application, and this big of kind of big part of your application would be some sort of the analytics dashboard for your customers. You maybe wanted to build, you know, like a booking system for barber shops or like for any small business, and you wanted to show, you know, transactions, bookings, and appointments, and a lot of analytics around it. And to you know, like to build that, you probably would, if you want to build it from scratch, right? it would involve building a lot of just blocks that you have to rebuild and rebuild over time. It's like pretty much like authorization, right? So it's it's people already did it multiple times, uh, but it's hard to do it right. And it's a lot of, you know, like small problems and kind of caveats you should care about. So uh, that's where kube.js comes in. So uh, it solves all the problems of SQL generation and uh, data modeling. And it just kind of, you know, drop in, you you install a microservice, connect to your database, define a data schema, and you should be go by kind of querying it from the front end. So you don't have to worry about obstruction uh, layer, API, authentication, and caching. So that's, I think, the biggest, you know, like developer improvements, it just kind of saves you time and, you know, like a lot of, stre- remove a lot of stress of building and maintaining this thing down the road.
0: Can you say more about a prototypical user of KubeJS?
1: Yeah, we usually see, you know, like a lot of, I would say like two categories of the usage the most common one is when a company wants to build internal custom application. So imagine you're like a large company, you have a lot of employees and you're building some custom application for them to work with data, probably to apply some custom workflows. That's kind of a common use case. And in that case, you would see a team of, internal engineers like three four people working on that application in a lot of cases most of the work should be done on the front end since kind of kube is a back-end infrastructure you just need to you know like uh, configure it the right way and then you just consume the api and build your analytics to application and the next case would be more like a customer facing when you build an application and you want to expose some analytics to your customers the composition of the team would be the same we see a lot of you know like a front-end developers working with the kubejs API while more like a back-end developers full stack uh, developers are responsible of configuring and working on the data schema sometimes we have sort of the nice intersection with data engineering teams when they you know like own the data, Warehouse, they manage all the data inside the warehouse, they even use some great tools like DPT to transform the data. But then when it comes to, you know, like software engineers build the final application, they just give the connection to the, say, Snowflake, and then the rest is handled by software engineering team, which is primarily user of the KubeJS.
0: So this is kind of an end-by-end end problem, right? Because you have all these different data sources and you have Kube.js in the middle as middleware, and you have all these different places you have to export your data to, like charts and Vue.js and React.js. How do you solve that end-by-end end problem?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a very good question. I think that communities really helps us here. So we initially, when we you know released the KubeJS on GitHub in march twenty nineteen, we just pushed it out. We built a i would say like a probably like a two three database drivers just to connect to Postgres MySQL, and it probably was pressed or something like that. So we thought that it would be the most common. And then you know like communities they started to develop uh different drivers. And by driver, we mean like integration between Kubernetes and database. We call that driver. And because, you know, like someone comes on a GitHub and say, I wanted to use this with, you know, like a Vertica or Snowflake, and we didn't have any connection at that time. And they started to build and contribute that back. So right now, the majority of the drivers are contributed from the community. And it's still, you know, like ongoing process. As we just talking right now, people, you know, like a billion (laughs) DynamoDB drivers or something like that. And when we are... On the front end, it was pretty much the same. We are, Pavel and I, we, are, we kind of know React and we have been working with React for a while. So it was no brainer for us just to build some integration, you know, like for React, some nice kind of API wrappers to, to easily work with Kube.js API in React. But when, when we release that, a lot of people come to repository and say, hey, what is about Angular and Vue? And then people started to contribute it to Vue and Angular, so it's same here. So really rely on a community to to help us to integrate with a lot of you know like tools on the front end and, and databases.
0: How else has the community been helpful in building Kube.js? Uh,
1: it was instrumental, <laughs> like really. I mean. When we released the KubeJS, we put a Slack channel, kind of Slack instance, just, you know, like we thought that it would be a good idea to have people hang out in Slack and give us feedback. And we saw that in, you know, other successful open source projects, so I was like, okay, let's do just a Slack and put out a Slack instance. And people started to join it and people started to ask questions and started to tell us about their problems. And, you know, like when we released uh, KubeJS, initially and then after the first release we didn't even have any like a roadmap or something it was pretty much all community driven people were like either sending pull requests or giving us feedback you know and we were just iterating on the feedback it was pretty much you know like a talk to folks in slack just try to process what changes needs to be done either in product or documentation and just then improve it so i think that community really shaped the product. So the community was a product manager for KubeJS and it's still pretty much uh, being a product manager.
0: You mentioned the storage layer that you built in Rust. Can you say more about that?
1: Yeah. So when we initially released to KubeJS, we didn't have our own storage and we relied on MySQL to store pre-aggregation. But there are a lot of problems with that approach because we quickly realized that it's just not a good, you know, like a tool for a job. And we started to think about, you know, different options to build that. And we quickly realized that we want to have a columnar storage, which is going to be really optimized for ingestion and aggregated data and then querying this aggregated data. We really wanted to make the ingestion fast. That because when you want to build a pre-aggregation, you know, like the ingestion times really makes a difference because as kind of if you have a low latency ingestion, you can refresh more often, right? And it means you can get updates to your data more often and you get, you're get you going to end up with a fresh data versus if your ingestion is really slow and it kind of makes just your cache is not going to work. So we really wanted to optimize for ingestion and also for querying obviously. And we started to look for different options and we understood that it has to be built, you know, like in low level language just because, you know, in terms of the optimization, all the op- possible optimization in a low-level language. And we ended up choosing Rust because it looks, you know, like it looks really promising. And I think it makes makes a difference in, in low-level programming. Pretty much, you know, like a C, C plus plus, plus and Rust, you don't have any other options. So we chose Rust. We were really happy with that decision. And then we started to look for, you know, the architecture, how we want to do that, and... We don't want to really to write a query engine and uh, like from scratch. And Apache Arrow project was instrumental here, so we're happy to use it. And also, as Pavel mentioned, we did some interesting, you know, kind of architecture decisions specifically to optimize for working with aggregated data and optimize for for joins across aggregated data.
0: Were you familiar with Rust going into it?
1: No, <laughs> like. A- Pavel, he is doing the main development on the Kube storage right now, so he can share a little bit more about he has a lot of experience with C and C. And he was playing with Rust a little bit. I was playing with Rust a little bit, but no one really, you know, uh, had a production level experience with Rust. And Pavel, do you wanna follow up here?
2: Yeah, sure. Yeah, I had over like four years of experience with Scala before before like going into Rust. And overall I have experience like over Ten years in Java, so it wasn't like a big leap for me, uh, and uh, I have a like native development experience. Uh, most of the time I spent with C plus so and Rust uh, comes here because of because of this kind of memory management thing. We we looked out outside Go and the problem there is uh, basically garbage collection and heap location. and we. Uh, we thought it would be great idea that to have this memory management thing, and it seems it works. Yeah, for us. Yeah.
0: You also mentioned usage of Apache Arrow. Can you talk about that?
2: Yeah, sure. So Apache Arrow comes as no surprise here as well. If you know, like this Influx guys also announced they they are rewriting their. Or with Apache Arrow and Data Fusion as well. So Apache Arrow, I believe, become a standard for columnar data processing, uh, mostly because of it's basically aimed for this is SIMD optimizations. This is single instruction multiple data. So it's much more optimized to process huge amount of columnar stored data formats one of which is Sparkit, and we use Sparkit basically as an underlying storage layer for all the data written to KubeStore. So, I mean, currently it's no-brainer. If you want to write columnar database, you would probably go with the Apache arrow here.
0: Have you paid much attention to the Apache Arrow community? I, I did a show about it a while ago, but um, I know the community has really matured since then.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So so right now we we are at the early stage here, and Apache Arrow has matured over like time. I would I would think in like C Python languages. However, Rust is very like early there. So it doesn't have all the capabilities, for example, that C++ version has. But, but yeah, I think like Apache Arrow community has a great potential and we are looking forward to contributing back to the, uh, to the code base and working with the community because we see a lot of like interesting projects starting up with, uh, especially with this Rust Apache Arrow implementation.
0: So you've got this home built data store, and then queries come in to the data store. Can you give me the lifecycle of a query?
2: Yeah, sure. So it's it's very like classical for any database storage. And again, we use for query processing data fusion. So we use like SQL pars- parser, which parses a SQL query into abstract syn- syntax tree. So then it's it's planned. Uh, so we use Data Fusion Query Planner, logical query planner. At this phase, we like intervene this process and introduce distributed query plan. So uh, Data Fusion doesn't have distributed query plan as something that can be sent across nodes. Uh, we have it in Cube Store. And then when the query plan, logical query plan. Distributed across workers. Worker builds its own physical query plan. Uh, This is also data fusion physical query plan and it's executed on a worker process. So, results built on each worker and collected back using Apache Arrow serialization format and basically sent to a router node which orchestrates all the querying process. Yeah, so. That's basically it in nutshell.
0: How do you test the end-to-end data flow?
2: Yeah, so it's, it's a great question. Like for Cube Store, we have basically integration test suite. So we started to write this test recently and basically idea is we're just spinning up a new like database instance writing some data to it and testing various queries under various circumstances, different like configuration of Kube Store and different configuration of like querying uh, stuff like that. Yeah.
0: So you guys are also a company. Can you explain what your company does?
1: Uh, sure. We started a company around the kube.js as a project. We called it a Kube dev because the cube is is obviously taken. So we are kind of wanted to continue to, you know, develop the open source and support the community. But at the same time, to be able to do that, we just need to have some sort of the commercial offering to just basically fund the development open source. So we have been thinking about it different ways, you know, like to form a company to kind of, and start making some revenue out of it. And I think that uh, idea was what if we, you know, like do not focus on support and services, I just build some sort of the ecosystem products around a kube.js while keeping kube.js fully, you know, open source, it's it's under Apache 2.0 and for the backend and MAT for the frontend and you wanted to keep it this way. And we don't want to, you know, like to do any open core and just release some part of the code as a, a uh, different license. So idea was to create a company and t- around the product and uh, just to start building an kind of ecosystem and infrastructure tools around the KubeJS, which can, you know, like uh, the revenue from this can support the development of the KubeJS as well.
0: So have you built a hosted version yet?
1: We're building it. It's a lot of things to build, but we are doing a great progress here. So we are, we have a few companies using already it, and it's been an interesting ride and a great ride. I think we are just around the last mile here, just polishing everything. And yeah, excited to launch it early next year, probably.
0: And what are the difficult engineering problems of making a hosted version?
1: So it's all multi-tenancy first. It's all designed to be run in you know like in a hybrid environment as well, it means that not only in our VPC in AWS, but potentially in a customer VPC. So we can just do it you know like uh, multiple ways. The second way is the second kind of a problem is how we just make sure that we provide a really high resolvable and high reliable you know like a uptime. And Kubernetes has a lot of moving pieces like uh, APIs, uh, instances, worker instances pre-aggregation layer cook store itself, right? And also ready for in-memory caching and kind of queue synchronization. So it's a lot of things that we need to, you know, like a provision and manage. But interesting thing is that we're building a development, you know, like a workflow and let developers to not only put a production code and run it, but also to be able to run sort of the development mode while their development, you know, like kind of sort of the life version while you do changes in schema the kube cloud gives you a live preview of the api and then once you feel that it's ready you can just commit and push into production pretty much a development workflow we all used to and we wanted to incorporate that into Cube cloud and it means we have to you know like be able to really spun up these development servers and once the code base changes schema changes we kind of hot do hot changes and hot reload. So I think that was one of the most complicated things we built in a Kube cloud. And pile can kind of tell a little bit more about it, Pavel, if you want.
2: Yeah, yeah, sure. I think one of the most interesting engineering problems here is also application performance monitoring. And the reason for it is, I think we are first time ever trying to solve this in SQL, so like Kube.js monitoring tool is very similar to what like Datadoc or New Relic provides. However, we provide Kube.js specific metrics around like querying, around pre-aggregating the data around uh, database, query orchestration, stuff like that. So the challenge here is uh, no one did it in SQL in the past and, and we use uh, like like footdoc principle here. So we're using kube.js to provide this uh, APM analytics for kube cloud users. So that's interesting challenge here,
0: yeah. Tell me more about some of the infrastructure decisions you're making.
2: Yeah, I, I think I can take this one. So in terms of infrastructure, uh, so currently we use Google Cloud to host main application cluster. And as Artem mentioned, it's uh, fully multi-tenant so every tenant has its own server no uh, has its own database so no one intersects in terms of data or like data access and we for every like major cloud provider we have uh, like spe- special clusters which sits in each own region so we can host like deployments around the globe using this approach. So basically every region of AWS, Google Cloud, and Azure has its own cluster uh, we support. So when people select where they want to deploy, they basically select the cluster where they want like the deployment and we will do all the heavy lifting for them.
0: How big do you think the market is for a pre-aggregation uh, middleware solution like this?
1: We're thinking of our market, you know, in generally as an embedded analytics market first. So, and uh, it, it's a huge market with a lot of existing, you know, like companies and BI vendors offering uh, sort of the embedded BI and, you know, like a revenue share of companies like a Tableau, like about a 15%. Go, comes from the embedded analytics and the market in general is really big what we see is companies with all the you know recent shifts in the technology companies leaning towards building internally rather than using you know old iframes that's what we we saw initially with the problem one while one why we started to work on a KubeJS. so i would say that the market is huge and the market is moving into you know, modern stack direction, like favoring JAMstack applications, microservices, and especially all these data lakes and data warehouses. So we believe that KubeJS is a really good position here to win the, this market down the road.
0: So let's say I plug my data sources into KubeJS. What happens instantly?
1: You would be able to quickly generate a schema on top of this based on your data tables. And then you will have an API. And then you say you have something like users tables right in your database. And you probably could have something like orders table in your database. And then you would be able to ping an API and get in like number of orders grouped by users zip code. Something like that. And kube.js will go and generate a SQL, generate a join get the data back, aggregate it, and send it back to you by the API. And on the front end, you can use any our integration to build a chart like with React and Charges, for example. And since we all provide all kind of you know integration out of the box, you can do that under five minutes. And then you will be able to do something like, okay, I got users by zip codes to plot on my map or like to plot as a bar chart. Then you would be able to apply filter, which is quite easy. Just update a JSON object, and again, Codegen just generate so all the SQL. So you don't have, you know, like to to go and update the SQL. It's all all generated.
0: Is there GraphQL support for the querying layer?
1: Uh, no, not yet. Uh, it's been it's an interesting question. Like a lot of people ask that, and a lot of we see a lot of users, you know, use any like a GraphQL backends together with the KubeJS. So for example, someone wanna use, you know, like a Hasura with KubeJS and they would query analytical queries with KubeJS. And then if they wanted to save, for example, save a state of the dashboard, right? They would use Hasura to save the state of the dashboard over the GraphQL. So in that case, they use kind of all up for uh, KubeJS, like KubeJS for all up, sorry, and GraphQL for all TP queries. So we see that happening all the time right now. Uh, specifically, using you know like GraphQL as a like a spec as a language spec for accessing kube.js queries. We have been thinking about it. The problem is, I believe that GraphQL is really designed to describe you know this sort of the transactions like operations you wanted to do on transaction data like OLTP style, right? And it's not really have a lot of good, you know, like a uh, tools and a way to express an analytics queries, all app queries. So I think that probably you know like a uh, going down the road, we may want to adopt GraphQL over JSON at some point in the future. But right now it's the format is JSON just because it feels that it's just a better, you know, like a way to express the queries.
0: What other features would you like to build into JS?
1: Yeah, well one one was it? kind of biggest features we're planning to support is real-time backend. So right now, we're very good, you know, with either transactional sort of the databases, Postgres, MySQL style, well, all say connect with just directly to, say, Postgres replica. Always big data, kind of a backend, like a presta Snowflake, or BigQuery. What is a missing piece here is real-time and streaming data. And by that, I mean, one is kind of event streaming like a Kafka. We we plan to support Kafka with a ksqlDB quite soon. And the next step would be, uh, you know, like a change data capture, like a log streams. So that would be, you know, like the, the next frontier for us. Once we have all of this, it would, you know, like we would be able to provide features like enriching data, like enriching your real-time data with your historical data or vice versa.
0: Have you seen any applications of kube.js that have surprised you?
1: Yeah, I've seen that. We usually uh, didn't like initially expect that everyone will go into to build pretty much, you know, like either customer facing sort of the embedded analytics uh, or some custom analytics application. But then we started to see an interesting uh, headless use cases where uh, users they don't build and UIs in the front end, and they just use KubeJS for automation or for alerting system. And oh, we've seen several interesting use cases, you know, like in automation, where like KubeJS API is constantly requested for like changes, or updates, and then based on this data, they, they kind of, they perform some actions, like, you know, updates in a factory line or something. So that was interesting. We also recently started to see a lot of use cases around machine learning. So we initially didn't, you know, like really envision that field yet. But we started to see a lot of usage uh, from Python and people building, you know, like using pandas, something like this with uh, KubeJS. So we started, kind of, we're still not sure about like moving into that direction, like a machine learning. But that's something definitely interesting. And we see a lot of usage here recently?
0: Is there anything interesting to say about shuttling data between the client and the server in these data heavy embedded analytics applications?
1: Do you mind to elaborate what do you mean by shadowing data?
0: Well, I imagine if you have like tons and tons of data in this pre aggregation server and you need to get that data to the front end, there can be a lot of a lot of data, like just a lot of bandwidth that needs to be occupied.
1: Yeah. And Pavel, feel free to follow up here. But I would say that we are, since we work mostly with aggregated data, right? So it's not like someone would expect to move a lot of source data, like a raw data, between frontend and a KubeJS API. So we usually talk more about uh, kind of small queries with aggregated data. We encourage everyone to, if if it's possible, to move to WebSockets, which is kind of saves time on a kind of transmitting data. So, uh, and we prefer for our users to use, you know, a lot of small queries instead of few larger ones. But Pavel, feel free to kind of follow up here as well if you want to add something.
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, if if we'll take a look at this problem from edge computing perspective, uh, then like QGIS approaches that serving nodes, which are like, basically service that ser- serve data to clients should be on the edges and also kube store layer should be on the edges as well. So users should shouldn't access any raw data at any time. So they use like this aggregated storage layer to access the data. This way there will be always like best possible latency here in terms of accessing the data as opposed to accessing like one central database that have all the data.
0: How does kube.js compare to other kinds of embedded analytics tool sets? Like, um, oh, I don't know, I guess nothing comes to mind, but are are there any main competitors in mind?
1: Yeah, we, we don't have really, you know, like a main competitor. Like the biggest competitor would be do-it-yourself without kube.js. I mean, like, is there a category of iframe-based tools, but they're not really competitor. It's just a different, like, a level. It kind of could, you know, like, solve the same problem, but it's it's mostly used in, you know, like, a POC or to build something quick. And then if you want to really move that into production, you either can tolerate the iframe experience, or if you don't, cannot tolerate it, you have to build, your own and there we go it's either do it yourself or kube.js
0: what's the importance of kube.js being open source
1: well we are software engineers and if i wanted to use a developer tool and tool like the kube.js i would like to have it open source to be honest and i believe that you know it feels right just to for this category of software to be open source and it makes a lot of difference you know you can see the source code and not only see the source code you can contribute and i think it's not only you know about the code you know being just open source it's more like about how community can be built around this and how people perceive it so i think to be honest all my, my opinion would be that all developer tools or all like infrastructure tools that should be at some sort of open source at least part of them Those should be open source, and then it feel like a modern way to just build software tools.
0: Well, is there anything else you guys want to add about CubeJS?
1: No, I think it's it was really great. I thank you for answering, uh, asking all these questions, and it was absolutely pleasure. Yeah, awesome. Thank you guys. Awesome. Thank Thank you.